Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in. And together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. On May 3rd, 2016, Khadija was attacked and stabbed 23 times by fellow student Shah Hussein in a vengeful attempt to end her life after she had rejected his romantic advances months before. Shah Hussein had attempted to carry out what is considered in Pakistan as an honor killing, an act frequently overlooked and even excused as means to bringing honor back into a family. In Pakistan alone, there are estimated to be more than 1,000 cases of honor killings a year and none of them brought to justice, much less brought to the attention of the court. Khadija Siddiqui's story has been widely covered around the world due to its moving revelation of current social norms regarding violent treatment towards women. Khadija thankfully survived the brutal attack, and in this episode we dive into her experience through the attack, how she found the courage to fight for justice, and the changes she believes are necessary to continue to protect women's rights in Pakistan and worldwide. Hi, Khadija. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Khadija, over three years, over the last three years, you've been fighting for justice to be served for a brutal attack that you experienced on May of 2016. You won this case, and this case now has come to be a stepping stone for thousands of women in Pakistan and an example for women in other countries who also face daily violence and abuse but have been left unheard for so long. So can you please tell us just what events transpired on May 3rd, 2016, that developed into what the world now knows as the fight for justice reform and women's rights in Pakistan? All right, so I'll take you back to May 2016. It was 3rd of May, and I clearly remember that um, it was like three, two or three days before this. I, I'm telling you something that I really haven't told on the media, but I think this really needs to be told because it's something that, you know, uh, that led up to this incident. So basically, I was, uh, I was busy studying for my tort law exam, and my exam was supposed to be on the 6th of May 2016. So I was preparing for that and I was always in my room sitting at my study table with my books, with my tea kettle and everything with me next to me so that, you know, I wouldn't have to go again and again to the kitchen. You know, there was this very strange uh, intuition that, you know, something's not right. And I just felt scared as if someone was watching over me and, you know, someone was watching. You know, this street, and I said, oh, no, it's nothing. It's just my fear of exams. I just went to my mom because my room is upstairs. So I went to downstairs to my mom's room and I told her that, you know, I can't study. I can't concentrate on my studies upstairs in my room. So can I sit for a while and study in your room? And she was a bit, you know, worried that what happened suddenly that, you know, all of a sudden this uh, strange feeling is uh, not letting you concentrate. 
so then she said don't worry you know it's just the fear of exams and you know just pray to god you know he's with you and all that so um and then after uh, i remember that on the 2nd of may i told my mom that you know uh, tomorrow uh, is going to be the last day that i go and pick my younger sister my 6 year old sister from school because uh, because after that i have my exams and i need to sit home and study so 3rd of may came and that day i remember going to school to pick my younger sister six year old sister from school and it was a very normal day for me and um, i had my notes with me i had my tortlaw notes with me in the car as the journey began from the home till the school i was studying the notes and i was preparing uh, not you know not wasting a single moment because time is very precious especially before exams so um so as soon as i reached school my younger sister's school is convent of jesus and mary it's a missionary school in lahore so i'm also a graduate from there i did my o levels from there so uh, when i reached to uh, at her school my car was parked at a distance of about 5 um, to 6 minutes say from the school because of the traffic congestion in that area you know i prefer asking my driver to you know park it over there so as he did so and as i brought my younger sister from school and um i made my younger sister board the car before i did so as i was about to make my way in the car i was just ruthlessly pushed literally no time in the blink of an eye i would say i was you know literally my life changed and i was constantly being um attacked constantly being you know ambushed and i thought that you know this was it life had literally ended because you know the stabbing was so constant and it was you know it wasn't stopping and in that time my 6 year old sister she she started screaming and yelling because she had already sat in the car so she was yelling and she was you know asking someone to help and in that time she, even she got stabbed in the back this is something that has come very less in the media that my 6 year old sister has been a witness has been a victim to this entire uh, brutality so you know not not only did the attacker you know attack me but also the 6 year old sister that was you know the level here that he had to fall to and you know as i recall it you know those blood splatters and you know everything is just comes back to me and you know gives me shivers then my driver who had parked the car over there because everything had happened so suddenly he didn't know what to do so first he rushed to my younger sister my 6 year old sister he rushed to her and then he you know brought her to the other side of the car and made her you know handed her over to some passer by and came towards my side of the car and he pushed the attacker off me who was still continuously stabbing and then that's when his helmet came off the attacker's helmet came off and his identity was revealed that's when he stopped stabbing that's when he said you know times up for me i cannot continue because i have to leave my face is revealed to the world so then when he started running backwards something that we came to know later a man who was a passer by who was uh, probably riding his bike he started videotaping him and he started videotaping the attacker and the attacker was uh, fluttering his knife in the air as if victorious as if he had killed me and he had been successful in his mission in his plan and uh, so that video was even uh, you know he made that he kept making that video because the attacker's clothes were so much drenched in blood that you know the passerby knew it that he had he was escaping the crime scene then after that my driver he immediately lifted me up because i was in a literally in a 
pool of blood uh, on the road i was lying in my sister who she was screaming and yelling and it was such a horrific scene uh, this is something that really needs to be appreciated that he was a driver he was just an employee you know he was a paid worker what responsibility he took he actually managed to firstly get the attacker off me get him to stop stabbing me then secondly he did not run away from the crime scene he 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 did not panic he immediately lifted me up put me in the car did not wait for the ambulance because of the profuse uh, blood that was coming out of my body made my sister sit in the front seat of the car and rushed to the nearest hospital which was around 10 to 15 minutes away from the school so you know that's also worth appreciation that he is also an unsung hero you know he was never talked about on media you know people used to say that oh it's it, the entire fight was khatija's fight but i say that the the main thing the saving of my life was in the hands was done by the driver and my sister was a witness to it you Next, had been stabbed you had been stabbed 23 times 23 times yes 23 times he kept stabbing me and um and the lacerations and the stab wounds are all still on my body so when i was taken to the hospital the doctors over there they said that uh, you know it's a miracle that you are alive because the kind of lacerations and the kind of stab wounds that you had we had no idea that you could survive such a horrific and a horrendous um attack so um i had to then i had to undergo like several surgeries many of my cousins donated blood to me because i the first surgery i had like transfusion of around 10 uh, bottles of blood 200 stitches around my neck around my back around my arm instead of giving my tort law exam which i had been preparing for the whole year i would i would be lying you know static on the hospital bed and you know being surrounded by um white walls being unable to move and you know in such a situation so it was like um, a very traumatizing and a very traumatic incident so and i want you to i want to thank you for bringing up these details of your driver and of your sister um those are very important details those are details that i i read information very briefly on them and i said you know this is important to kind of tap into because your sister was implicated she was hurt her rights were also you know at the forefront of everything that should have been mentioned in your case and i don't think it was and the same thing of you know the risk that your driver placed himself before you know and and also getting hurt he could have also gotten hurt and he just put that aside because he saw that you that you really needed to be saved at that point and you're right he was just an employee um who was like who else was around um because you were in broad daylight right were there any police were there anybody else that was trying to get involved actually you will be shocked to hear the fact that where my car was parked that was right in front of a hotel and it's called ambassador hotel so my car was parked right in front of that and there are guards standing in front of the hotel imagine there are guards with guns with pistols in their hand even a fire in the air would have caused the attacker to run away from the scene but they literally fled the scene they went back inside i was told that you know even the there was a bakery next door 
uh, close by, even that card went inside. It happens a lot everywhere in the world. You know, people think about their own lives more than anything else. They're like, oh, you know, something's going to happen to us. Or what if we get implicated further as a witness in the case later on, you know? So basically, you know, good Samaritans are very, uh, very few, very, very rare to be found. But, you know, again, I think the good Samaritan in this case would be the man who made the video and tailed the attacker till he changed his clothes and till he threw the knife and what what not even though that man did not come forward as a witness but still the video was made and it was given for the investigation to the police and apart from that i read a message on my facebook messenger somebody had written that oh i saw you when you were drenched in blood and i was so hopeless that you would actually survive so, you know, there were a lot of witnesses who had surrounded me when, on, when I had been attacked. But then, you know, there was no one who could actually come during those seconds and, you know, save me. I think only the driver did the job. But yes, there were witnesses. There were people who saw it and um, there were people who taped it. And, but I think it was God who saved me, even though no person came forward the guards who had the, the, the guns with them, even they, um, they couldn't do anything. But I think God saved me because he had to give me a second chance in life, probably. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think they couldn't do anything or they wouldn't do anything? I think they, they wouldn't do anything because, because maybe they're not trained to do something which is not in their... Uh, in, which is not happening inside their hotel. Maybe that's what I thought, you know, could be a reason that maybe they did not want to get involved in a crime scene that was happening outside on the road and not inside the hotel. That's something that I made up, you know, to um, please my own self that maybe that's the reason why it did, did not come and save me. So you went to the hospital and you received treatment. And when was it that you decided that you were going to file? the assault against your attacker, which can we put a name to this face? Shah Hussein. Yes, yes, yes. And who was he to you? So basically this boy, he was a friend to me in law school. We studied together. During the first year, we were very close and we were very good friends. But then with the passage of time, you know, his very manipulative side started coming forward, you know, things like oppressing me and, you know, manipulating and blackmailing side came forward. That's when I started distancing myself from him. And that's what he couldn't take. And he tried his level best by hacking into my accounts, by, you know, talking to all my friends, by, you know, telling everybody around that, you know, she's not talking to me, ask her to talk to me and, you know, using all tactics to, uh, bring me back somehow. But I had decided to not live in that uh, manipulative environment where I was constantly under that mental torture that, you know, okay, he's going to do something, you know, if, if I don't listen to him, he's going to do something, you know, that kind of uh, narcissist he was. So that's, you know, that when I completely blocked him from everywhere, recovered my accounts, said, you know, I cannot remain in a toxic relationship. I just want to end it. That's when I took a step and I deleted him from my life, you know, for good. Little did I know that after deleting him from life, he wouldn't be able to do so. And he would keep everything fresh in his mind. And rather than moving on in life, he would prepare an attack on me. 
but again i say that you know no matter what happens nobody has a right to use force on anyone nobody has a right to kill anyone whatsoever so i think such psyche such criminal mentality is very hard to understand because he had that criminal mind and that criminal uh, side which was exposed by this attack do you feel that he would get a, that he thought he would get away with his attack that is absolutely right he is the son of a lawyer and a very prominent lawyer in pakistan so he thought firstly he thought that his face was um, hiding under the garb of a helmet so he wouldn't be seen secondly he had it in his mind that even if for some reason um his name was implicated in the case he wouldn't ever be thrown behind bars because his father using all his influence would be able to save him and this is exactly what he had planned was going on actually for an entire year when i was trying to you know get justice and when i was constantly trying to raise my voice but everything was just going down the drain because of his immense power and influence that they were using in the legal system that gives us a little bit of insight on the dynamics that are that are involved and that have influenced the justice system in Pakistan which we're going to dive into and so women coming to court and fighting for their rights when it comes to violence and when it comes to abuse this is not a common thing in Pakistan and so when it came to you deciding to file this assault what was it that prompted that what started that in you and what was the reaction of other people as a result of that that is a very interesting question because uh, me being a law student at that time and then being attacked by the son of a lawyer it was you know it made headlines later but if i tell you that for from 3rd of may 2016 till almost a year later till april 2017 i was in this turmoil when i was struggling alone with my parents only with my mother my dad and my younger sister and my elder sister this is the you know our our this was our bubble you know to giving each other strength trying our best to you know fight for justice going to court every day my dad would go to court every other day and what he received from the other end was a blackmailing that you should not pursue this case because your daughter's honor is in our hands and if you do it we are going to expose her for the sake of your daughter leave this case because we are lawyers and we have the law in our hands there's no power that can actually you know send our son to prison so initially my on 3rd of may 2016 my driver he got the fir registered fir is the first instant report which was registered by the driver because he was the prime witness so the fir was registered but it since my driver did not know him so the name of the attacker was not in the first incident report i implicated him around 4 to 5 days later when i again regained consciousness and you know when i was in a situation to actually give a statement let alone you know use my mouth to speak actually so that's that was around i think 8th of may that i gave the statement and incriminated him I think and just to add this I think I was reading that um that was a problem for like the court they were saying why did you take so long to implicate the name of Shah Hussein right 
that that was a problem later not during it was raised during the trial but later when his uh, when the proceedings had begun and you know the he had filed appeal that's when the judges who wanted to give him relief used that delay to basically set him free so that was you know it wasn't really a big issue in the trial because of the sufficient evidence that was against him to incriminate him but then yes that was used as an excuse to you know let him go so you guys were receiving a lot of backlash your father was receiving a lot of backlash and you were going to court every single day your sister was also there having to be present yes. i'll tell you yes i'll tell you about that so for the entire year i tried um, i i wrote a few articles in the newspaper you know i tried everywhere that you know somehow my voice reaches the correct forum so that you know the way they had so much support from the legal fraternity i should be getting at least some sort of support some sort of uh, backbone you know to fight this case because we sometimes we felt so alone you know without any uh, wh- whichever lawyer came to fight the case for us would withdraw subsequently would come under their pressure and would say that you know it's impossible to fight a case against them because they have a lot of power so you know this continued till april 17 because i had missed my exams in may 2016 i was supposed to pay for them in the next the following year in may 17 so that's when i came to know that because my attacker had escaped at that time even he did not give any exam uh, so he was on bail so even he did not give any exam so i found out that we were supposed to appear for the same exams in the same examination hall in lahore pakistan that came to me as a you know as a hammer blow i was like this is not possible in, in the first place i'm not getting justice and the second and the worst of all thing that's happening is that he is going to be appearing for the same law exams which is going to prepare us as future lawyers such a criminal mental such a criminal mind is going to become a lawyer that was the turning point that you know i said no matter what i really need to get this across to the people to the public to the, to everyone out there so that's when i was approached by a lawyer a barrister hasan niazi who said that you know for getting justice in pakistan especially against such a powerful entity you need to come forward in the public you need to tell your story from your own words you need to show your wounds to the world so that they know that this actually happened to you otherwise he said that you know people are not going to believe it so i had to literally come forward exposing everything that these are my wounds this is how i'm i've been struggling for justice and i'm failing miserably in doing so so that's when you television they approached and they started taking me live on shows and that's when i finally you know gathered support and people who found out about it they i remember this girl made a petition online and that petition was to the british council that we did not want to give our law exams in that examination hall where this attacker is sitting because the, everybody all the candidates they felt unsafe so that's when you know i was approached by british council and they said that you know because so less time left for the exams and it's going to be very hard for us to you know change um, the attackers examination halls so is it possible for you to change the hall and you to come to our office and give the exam so at that point i felt very strange because i said you know why should i be segregated from the mass 
I said, why should I sit alone and give the exam where the attacker who attacked me is going to be sitting in that same hall? So, you know, this was something that, you know, it really struck me. And I said, no, I don't think I will be able to segregate myself from the crowd because I should be the one sitting with the candidates and he should be the one segregated. So they said, no, it's not going to be possible. I said, if it's not possible, then I will sit there. I said, I will sit there because I don't want to give the exam in your office. You were willing to go and sit in the same room with Shah Hussein. Yes, because, 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 because of the candidates, because all the candidates were under threat and they said that we cannot sit comfortably and give our exam at peace in that hall. So I said, why should, you know, I compromise on this when all the other candidates and including me are under threat by that attacker? You know, people are not feeling safe. Why should, why should I be segregated? So then after a few hours, I got a call again from the British Council and they said that, you know, we've been receiving mass emails from the candidates. You know, then that's when his city of examination was changed and he was shifted to another city for giving the exams. So that was the first victory in April 2017. And, you know, I realized that our youth had so much power in their voice that the British Council at the last moment, at the 11th hour of the exam, they were forced to change his examination hall. My voice spread like, you know, the voice that had been suppressed for the whole year finally got loud as a loudspeaker. And, you know, people started saying what I was trying to say for the whole year. Incredible. So that was the the first victory that I would say really showed you that the voices of the majority matter, right? And those are all the people here that are supporting, that were supporting you and wanted to see something different in this case. It's not the situation for so many women. And in the case with Shah Hussein, he was in July of 2017 handed a sentence to seven years, but then it was later acquitted right, in June of 2018. So can you tell us about that experience? Because I know that you at first, you said that it was a landmark verdict, right, for him to be convicted, but then later he was acquitted. So how did you feel? Did you still feel like that was a victory? Well, on 29th of July, 2017, uh, the final verdict was given from the magistrate court in Lahore. And that was a culmination of around 50-day trial. So the trial that hadn't begun for the whole year actually began in June 2017. And that was also because the Chief Justice of Lahore High Court, Saeed Mansour Isha, he ordered a 30-day speedy trial for this case because of the outrage of the media and the public at large. And, you know, people were out on the road, they were protesting and all. So, you know, so that's when the trial began in June. And so June to July 2019, uh, 2017, what happened was that the verdict was given and the verdict was announced on 29th, which said that the attacker, the perpetrator would be sentenced for seven years. What happened was that later their reaction was, it's okay, we will appeal and uh, we will get him out again. There were no remorse on his face whatsoever. And we thought that, you know, even though we have fought the entire case, then that's the reaction that we're getting from them. So, you know, that confidence that we saw from coming from the attacker's father, it was actually bewildering that, you know, how he was actually making him into a proper criminal. You know, he was basically nurturing his act that, you know, whatever you have done is right and we're going to support you whatsoever. So then what happened later was they appealed. And in the session court, the judge, he reduced the seven-year imprisonment to five-year imprisonment. 
and then when they appealed again in the high court the high court judge acquitted him so that decision i remember came on the 4th of june and that attracted more backlash than i had received previously you know the backlash that came after this decision was tremendous there were articles in new york times and bbc that you know how is this possible that a convicted man goes scot free just because the high court judge thinks that there is insufficient evidence so you know then again the article started coming my interview started coming on how i felt about it after hearing that the attacker had been acquitted after such a long fight and battle for justice my tweet was justice butchered that's what i said justice butchered you know that after striving so hard after putting forward an example setting a precedent case for women in pakistan and around the world this is what happens to a case that you know all the dreams that were hinging upon this case actually go down the drain and they are you know reduced to zero people would actually consider thinking 10 times that should we go fight our case or should we just leave it because khatija who fought for justice and whose case was highlighted so much she failed so you know it was a failure of the system it was not my failure because my my case received so much attention and i think my biggest victory was when people came forward to support me my victory was when people said that he is to be blamed for what he did when he tried to correct assassinate me in court in front of the judge when he brought pictures and he said oh look she is a girl of a loose character they tried to admit such evidence in court that look at her pictures with boys and she had a very posh living and because of her act you know she was attacked such a defense came from their side they received so much backlash such a defense coming from an attacker who has been alleged to have attacked someone 23 times uh, instead of putting forward a case proper case a proper defense of that he was not there at the scene of crime or anything like that and the grounds of acquittal in the lahore high court judgment also focused on my character mostly on my character rather than focusing on the legal aspects said that the girl has admitted friendship with friends and you know so the attack may have happened but it hasn't happened the way she has described it so that was like the final blow the 24th stab by the lahore high court judge who said that the attack may have happened despite overwhelming evidence so during that time i had gone to london to start my bar course i had to go back to pakistan to attend that supreme court hearing and that's when the 5 year imprisonment was upheld and he was sent back to prison so in the end and this was in just january of 2019 is that right yes so that was just this year 3 years 3 years yeah 3 years of a fight that you came forth with to make sure that he was sentenced and so his final sentencing was 5 years imprisonment yes how do you feel about that I mean I had I had gone through so much that I was like you know at least he's being sent to prison at least you know that landmark judgment is going to come that you cannot get away with committing such a heinous crime crime upon crime his first crime was attacking me then he committed a crime by mudslinging by you know trying to portray me as a girl of a loose character who had so many male friends that anybody could have attacked her how can someone actually say such things it was one defense they came up with they said that the wounds on my body they're all self inflicted 
So the doctor in my case, the witness doctor, she came and she said these wounds cannot in any way be self-inflicted. 23 wounds on her own body. How is this even possible? So they had, I mean, in reality, their defense had no standing. Instead of sticking with legal facts, with facts on the event, they were trying to attack your character. They were saying that you were of loose morals, that you were with boys taking pictures. I mean, these are friends. These are people that you know. But they're trying to, they're trying to bring attention to that to say what? That you deserved the treatment that you, that you had? That is something that I could um, understand from their defense, that anybody could have attacked her. And, but it's not him. I think this calls, though, and this is going to be um, really important to just address because it's, it's really what influenced this whole, this whole case that you had to go through, which was what women in Pakistan have to deal with when it comes to a notionally accepted perspective on violence against women, right? So it's like women in Pakistan and women across the world and how their human rights are just placed second. Like it's not a priority in so many countries. And so I would like to get some insight, some of your insight on what women have to deal with in Pakistan that you've seen when they're making decisions regarding their own life and how they wish to live it. Yes. So, you know, this very um, strong culture of fear and shame and this very strong stigma which surrounds such cases. And that involves people coming up with baseless defenses, baseless justifications that, oh, if a girl has been attacked or a girl has been drenched in acid and if she has been killed in the name of honor, she must have done something wrong to deserve such a thing, right? So this this stigma is very much prevalent. So this does not let women in Pakistan or around the world to actually speak up if they're going through some emotional abuse or physical abuse or any sort of trauma. What are people around me going to say? What image are, is this going to form in their minds? You know, this is the biggest fear that doesn't let women come forward. And especially after something like this, which happens, like I remember... Uh, Two or three months after my incident, there was this female in Pakistan. She was she was somehow related to the media. And she, because she came from a very a disadvantaged family, but she herself was actually moving forward, working in the media industry. She was she had contacts and all. And she was killed by her own brother in the name of honor. Tandir Baloch was her name and her even her case got a lot of highlight because she was strangulated. Imagine she was sleeping and she was strangulated in her own home by her own brother. So recently her case was also decided and the brother, he was sentenced to, I think, lifelong imprisonment. But then the other accused, they all went scot-free. This is something that happens a lot, you know, the fear of being tagged as an immoral girl or the fear of family's honor is attached with the girls. The bitter reality is that whatever the girl does is thought to be something that has a deep connection with the family's honor. You know, this is something that really needs to change. And actually, it did change the mindset after my case when I openly came and said that on media, which was actually a big thing. I said, so what if we were friends? So what if we had pictures together? So what if I had pictures with other boys? 
was a very bold thing to do and people actually appreciated it people said that you know this is the strength that every girl in pakistan every girl around the world needs to you know fight her own battles so when it comes to the the point of acid over the, the faces of women honor killings and the mistreatment the abuse women in pakistan are experiencing this and they're also afraid to come up and say something because they don't think their voices are going to be heard they don't think it's going to matter and so that's why what you did was so important for someone that is taking a stand for the the rights that she knows that she has and you even mentioned it yourself that by saying you know why does it matter that i was taking pictures with with my friends right with these boys because it's like this attack of your character should not have any sort of standing in in the treatment that you deserve and so those are very very important cases i'm i'm happy that you're bringing that up i'm happy that we're having this discussion and when it comes to this ideology that people have would you say that this is more seen in certain areas of pakistan or is it felt evenly across all of of the country i think it is more prevalent in the rural areas where women are not really aware of their rights in urban areas women they are aware of their rights and they know how to take a stand but even then you know if someone faces harassment her first instinct would be report it or not report it and she would consider not reporting it because then she would say that you know the backlash that i would receive after reporting such an incident and that's something that's a reaction that comes from around the world you know it's not something that's limited to pakistan but it's very much prevalent in the rural areas more or less because of the lack of education and the old system of the panchayat and you know the jirga sitting and making decisions for the females so i think these acid attacks they are very very common and this attack literally ruins the life of the victim completely you know because i've met such acid attack survivors i've seen so much strength in them even despite their uh, disorderly figure and you know complete disfigurement you know they are so full of life i remember i met a female survivor and she said that that attacker basically tried to disfigure me for life but he could not kill my dreams he he basically renewed my dreams for a new life i think you brought up some really important highlights which are just that you know in these rural areas it's a, a lack of education it's a lack of knowing that these women have rights and it's not you know we're we're in a different time now i mean it was never okay but now it's now finally more attention is being brought to it and it's also the traditions it's also like these the connection to like these cultural ideologies and teachings of the treatment of women what do you think would be the changes that need to take place maybe some things that you see that are wrong not just in the social system but also in the justice system that can start to move you towards more protection and rights for women okay so uh, there are a lot of things that actually can be done and there is a lot of work that is taking place now to curb such incidents and to give speedy justice but i think it's a long process but i think we are somehow on the right track as we are moving towards some reform um so firstly when a case is registered when an fir is lodged the first thing that happens is that investigation begins and at that stage a lot of important pieces of evidence is lost in my case the back seat of the car was full of blood the mats were full of blood 
but i don't understand why they were not taken into possession at that time why were pictures of the car not taken there was a water bottle that i took for my younger sister that water bottle was full of blood that wasn't taken into possession so you know such important pieces of evidence that the investigation officers they are not fully equipped to deal with these cases they do not they do not go immediately to the crime scene they do not get hold of eyewitnesses immediately and you get to know what exactly happened and how it happened so this is like crucial time of the case when the uh, when everything is fresh and everything can be done the forensics can immediately be done it's not that they don't want to do it or they're lazy they don't know how to do it and what to do at what time so you know their lack of training so, you know that really demands work in our criminal justice system and then i would say in cases regarding females it gets very very tough for females to open up and tell exactly the exact minute details to male investigation officers or to male officers is this need to have a panel of females you know who are well equipped to deal with such cases and they should come forward there's so many things that the female wants to tell the male but she's unable to do so because you know there's that level of understanding is very different so yeah that's something that really needs to be done now that you know females should be more and more involved in the investigation stage and then later on when the trial begins the more and more female lawyers should be involved actually now a lot of female lawyers are actively in, involved in trial work and in litigation which is actually a very positive step moving forward in this justice system so much that needs to be done there needs to be proper judges who need to be trained to be gender sensitized you know that really the gender sensitization should be is very important in such cases where dealing with female issues and apart from that there is something very good that has recent like recently began i think in july in june in july 2019 that model courts began uh, running in lahore and in various cities and districts so these model courts they run very efficiently and very speedily so that's something very positive and very good that's going on in the courts now When it comes to the state of women's rights currently in Pakistan in legislation is the law that protects women's rights the same as the law that protects men's rights Um actually there are a lot of there's a lot of legislation specifically focusing on the rights of females the constitution of pakistan it guarantees equal treatment of all citizens section 25 it says that that you know all the citizens are to be treated equally before the law but then after that when we come to the penal code where you know we find several sections there's some legislation which is only related to women there's this act i think it came in 2016 it's criminal law offense of rape act so now this act it made some amendments in the pakistan penal code it said that the statement of a rape victim will only be taken in presence of a uh, in presence of a family member and a female investigation officer so that's something that i you know touched upon just now so this is yeah. something that is being brought slowly and steadily like in 2016 this act was brought now i don't know how um, accurately it is being enforced and implemented but i'm sure some sort of work is being done on this there was legislation that came in 2000 and uh, 2011 which was anti harassment law so basically harassment at workplace this a uh, very stringent legislation which said that um if you get harassed at workplace you immediately 
complain to the ombud person and then that complaint is be, is dealt with and then if you're not satisfied you can appeal to the high court you can appeal to the governor of uh, punjab there was this law which was passed in 2016 it it was called the honor act 2016 which was for the honor killing and you know the prevalent issue of honor killings in pakistan where you know women were killed in the name of honor and mostly women in the rural areas who were um, uneducated or from underprivileged families so this act finally gave this honor killing the status of a murder and it said that it will be a murder which is committed in the name of honor and it will be punishable by death or imprisonment for life another thing that was uh, recently changed that it became a non compoundable offense so now non compoundable offense is an offense which um, cannot be cannot be forgiven basically that even if the parents or even if the family of the victim reaches a compromise that would not hold any uh, legal significance because the state would then be the party and the state would still file the case and still continue the case even if the accused is forgiven in the name of religion or whatever you can call it so you know there's some good laws that are available to us but then again we are not as educated like the lay person if i talk about the lay person i know that this law exists because i am a lawyer but the lay person doesn't know about this law and he's not even you know he's not even being educated about the law so if something like harassment or he wouldn't know what first step to take this is very important that we as a lay person should be well informed about what the legal system entails and what laws exist to protect him because these laws are meant for our protection if we do if we are not aware of them then how are we going to enforce our rights and i think this is like a process which is slow but i think it it will show its effects in due time and there's a lot of more that can be done and should be done actually and i've touched upon that too absolutely and i appreciate you bringing all of this information for us to have some more insight on what is currently um not just us but also anyone listening and you know to more pakistani women who are listening to know the rights that they have and the importance of them taking advantage of that so that they can protect themselves and they they can start to set the stones in place to change the social norms when it comes to treatment towards women and um i wanted to tell you kadija i know that you're now a barrister and i have no doubt that you're going to be looking to take part in changes necessary in the pakistan justice system and uh i wanted to ask you um what do you plan to do now my activism began in 2016 when i um started uh voicing up for my own case and at that time i remember it was it was just you know my fight to get justice and to you know uh, to not let anyone get away from such a heinous crime but with the passage of time when people started approaching me i realized that this wasn't about me it was never about me it was about the women it was about the oppressed class of the society who is struggling in every way either in courts or in their family in domestic abuse or you know in so many different um phases of their life survivors or victims of abuse when they started contacting me and they started telling me that how you know my fight was giving them strength to move forward you know this actually strengthened my own morale 
and it boosted me you know to fight for these people and then it showed me that you know this was not my fight it was just a fight uh, to show the women of pakistan that you are not weak you can fight your own battles no one can you know bring you down unless or until you want them to so i think that um, this was something that really really motivated me to complete my degree for the next two years i was uh, i was completing my degree my law degree and i was um, appearing for the exams appearing for the court proceedings simultaneously so you know everything was just going on side by side i had to manage my interviews then appear for the exam next day and as i had i as i you know moved out of the examination hall i would see media standing there waiting for my response oh my so you know it was like it was like you know i was surrounded from all sides you know because people had they were supporting me so much there was so much media support and you know that that was really it was really soothing not only for me but for everyone that in a society like this we are actually uh, getting together and raising a voice and moving in the right direction but um, i'll tell you that um, i wanted to start with an ngo with my own organization but then uh, when i think about it i i think it's way too early a bit too early to you know start something independently i want to first gain some experience even though like right now i am taking pro bono cases so i am doing cases but not uh, being associated with any ngo right now or any other platform but i'm just doing it pro bono to help people but i do have plans in the future to start my own work to start uh, you know hardcore advocacy for people for do the trials to learn proper work so that i can you know be the best lawyer for females um, and a press class and you know whoever comes to me for help so i just want to be uh, well equipped with everything so that i can you know represent them properly and get them to justice and get them to see the light of the day finally after you know such a long and arduous trial in pakistan That's beautiful beautiful and what is your message to other women in the world and in pakistan that are facing threats like the ones that you faced okay so my message to the women across the world to the people who get inspired by reading my story who get inspiration from the way i struggled and i moved forward i would want to tell all of them that all these problems and all the obstacles that we face in life they're always stepping stones towards success and you know people people come to me and they tell me that you know why don't you just get rid of the scars that you have across your body everywhere you know just get rid of them and you know move on in life why do you just want to keep going back so i tell them that these scars you know they remind me of the strength they give me the power to to actually fight so you know i i wear them as a badge of honor why be why be afraid to show them to the world they were with me when i was literally bedridden and not knowing whether i would be able to get up on my feet ever again get back to life ever again so i think you should wear your scars proudly and as a badge of honor and be proud of what life puts you through because every struggle every difficulty that you go through in life is like a crack 
in is like a crack in your body but then you have to fill that crack you know with a beautiful color and the more you color your cracks with different colors with golden paint or silver paint or whatever they they signify your strength so this is my message for the women across the world never ever tell yourself that you are weak you should fight your battle and you should tell the world that you are able to achieve the biggest of the big and nobody can put you down and the most important thing is never to get uh, manipulated by people always take a stand because if you don't take a stand at that point you will regret it all your life so i think that's very important the more we strengthen ourselves from inside and the more we empower each other start raising women around us and start building them i think we can do so much and we you know then the reform that the change comes from within us you know it comes from our mindset absolutely and those words of positivity and empowerment and resilience are so important for all of us to have because everybody in all around the world there are battles there are issues that need to be resolved and it's going to require a lot of strength and a lot of resilience and it's just sticking to that that's going to be very important and that that goes into my next question what can the world do to get involved to support the efforts to protect women from violence and inequity seen against them i think um there's a lot of power with the use of social media nowadays and if your struggle is seen by people they immediately spread it and you know help comes from everywhere around you know be it psychological be it emotional help be it financial help be it some legal support that is offered from different forums or that's something a very very strong tool that is being used nowadays and should be used to effectively you know cater to all such issues and apart from that i think around the world a lot of work is being done to protect the vulnerable class be it children be it women in order to stand for something we need to know for what we are standing and then we do fight for it and the i think the day we start raising our voice and this day we start uh, making an effort for a cause i think even if it takes time it doesn't take a lot of time it's you know people start realizing that you know this is something genuine that you know is being fought for and does need support and does need help so i think it takes time like it took me one year for my voice to be heard then now that i look back that one year was nothing with the result and the fruits that i got after that so you know i think it's amazing how we each we can help each other and build a society and build a fort of strength incredible and powerful words Khadija, I want to thank you for being here with us today to share your story and to share your inspiration and a message that we should all pay attention to. Thank you for just taking this time. It was truly truly appreciated. It was lovely speaking on your forum and um I hope it can you know bring that impact and you know people get inspired and they get a new way forward in their life. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.